This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today my guest is eight-time Grammy nominee Bobby Sanabria. Known as a drummer, percussionist, composer, arranger, conductor, documentary, film producer, educator, activist, and band leader, his versatility as both a drummer and percussionist, from small group to big band, has become legendary. Bobby has performed and recorded with every major figure in the world of Latin jazz and salsa, from the founder of the Afro-Cuban Latin jazz movement, Maria Bauza, to Tito Puente, Dizzy Gillespie, Ray Barreto, to jazz luminaries as diverse as Charles McPherson, Randy Brecker, Joe Chambers, the Mills Brothers, and many others. So if you want to support what Zach and I do here on the podcast, you can join Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer, where as little as a dollar a month gets you access to all this educational content that we've been creating over the years with past guests. All these things are really helpful and usable on the gig or whatever the situation is, and we're always adding new content. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can make a one-time donation through our PayPal account. You can find that at workingdrummer.net. If you're a fan of Latin jazz and just great live performance, there's a new record that's coming out that Bobby has put together called Vox Humana. It doesn't come out until May, but if you go to bobbysanabria.com, there's a link in the show notes, you can catch some of the other recordings that Bobby has done. And Bobby does a great job showcasing the talent in the New York area, the Bronx, New Jersey, Brooklyn, and uh, it was just such a joy to speak with him. He's got a lot of soul in just the way he speaks. He demonstrates uh, some rhythms, sings some examples of what he's talking about, and it's really great. It's very infectious. I had a chance to uh, check out the new record, and it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I'm going to play some of the track here for you to check out, or one of the tracks. But I uh, hope you really enjoy this conversation with Bobby Sanabria. American experiment is supposed to be about everybody coming together in this beautiful mosaic. Yeah. That's why my call the my band, my big band, the multiverse big band, mm -hmm. inspired by the, the writings of the great Mexican uh uh Octavio Paz, who says Latin America is a multiverse. It's like a big gigantic salad with all these beautiful colors inside the salad. You can taste them and you can see what the ingredients are. And when you taste it, it goes, it gives you this incredible flavor uh, and it all interacts and works uh, together. And that's what we are. The band in and of itself is multi-generational, multi-generational, multi-racial. I'm actually the oldest guy in the band because I just turned 65. Wow. So, so the youngest person is, I believe, 23. 
That's amazing. You know, so so uh, we have Dominicans in the band, Japanese, ja- Jews, Irish, Italian, um, New Yorkian, Puerto Rican, yeah, Cubans. We have in the band. I mean, it's it, it it is what it is, and people appreciate that too. They've come up to me and told me that I love the fact the fact that the band is multi generational and this that and the other. And it's got to be inspiring to have somebody in their twenties that's involved in this in this music and and is interested and and that's just that's just great it's got to be inspiring to like see that man this music is going to keep going yeah at one time we the oldest guy in the band the oldest person in the in the orchestra was uh 75 wow Uh, gene jefferson the great panamanian uh, saxophonist uh but he's recently passed away so now, now that falls on my shoulders, you know, so, but <laughs> but it's funny because uh, eight of the members of the orchestra are former students of mine. That's great on the college level. So I've be- I've mentored them, and and it's my way of giving back. But I, uh, it's funny, right? We were talking about all of this. The uh, you're you're so right uh, in terms of music and art. It's the really the the last hope of humanity in, in many ways. Um, because we as artists, you can talk to any artist. We don't give a damn about the person's color, their age, mm-hmm. their ethnicity, their religious beliefs. All we care about, can you play? Yeah. That's it. And, and artists, uh, you know, we've traditionally always been in the forefront of human rights, especially jazz, um, yeah, yeah, and Latin sure. music and Latin mm-hmm. music. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, uh, it's a good thing, and you know uh, the traditions of uh, in, in you're in Nashville country western music. I mean, I see, I saw multiracial bands in Nashville playing country western music, I, I, which I, me and Elena looked at each other. We would go, man, this is a really cool thing, man. It's <laughs> really, really cool. So it's come a long brother, way. We got, yeah. we got, we got, we got, we got some more distance to go, but we, it's come a long way for sure. Well, I mean, like I said, if if we uh, the, the arts are so important, uh, it's really the key to us coming together. Yeah, I believe uh, and in no other place in New York City did that really happen. In no other place in the country did it happen from a historical standpoint. It was the Palladium Ballroom in mm-hmm. Manhattan for, on West 53rd Street and Broadway. Mm-hmm. From 1948 to 1966, it was the home of the Mambo. And that was where real integration happened. And uh, the Bronx was the most integrated borough. I mean, Morris High School in the 1950s was the most integrated high school. It was in the South Bronx. That's where Colin Powell went. And this is where way before Little Rock. The, the the those kids in Little Rock integrated that high school. Okay, yeah, right. Um, and and suffered the indignities of racism. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, these are stories that need to be brought out, and we get them out there. And this history and and the, my role as with Elena as artistic directors of the BMHC and the forthcoming BMH, the Bronx Musical. So, I love that. I love that. Tell me about uh, speaking of 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 the history and your experience at 12 years old seeing Tito Puente. Can you tell me? Oh, that that? was amazing. That's a beautiful story. The city was bankrupt at the time, as I said before, but, and, and the natives were restless, man. And they said, man, we're going to have the mayor at the time, 
uh, Mayor Beam said, uh, man, we're going to have riots and everything all over the place if we don't calm the the fuels of fire that are fermenting with the people. So they, they, the New York City Parks Department, through private donors and et cetera, uh, quote, unquote, rich people, got some money and they started putting out these street concerts in the hood, in various areas of the Bronx, Brooklyn, et cetera, Queens. And one day they're building this wooden stage on East 153rd Street in Cortland Avenue, right in front of the housing project that I grew up in, the 681 uh, of the Melrose Houses, right in front of this bodega, right next to the bodega that's on the corner, that's still there to this day. And I go, with my friend and uh, Marvin Matei, who passed away, uh, may he rest in peace, he lived on the ninth floor and his window was facing that side of the street. I lived on the 12th floor on the other side, so I couldn't see from there, but we had a great vantage point from there. So we were looking at, and who's playing? Ricardo Ray and Bobby Cruz, Richie Ray and Bobby Cruz. They had the hottest salsa band at the time. Ricardo Ray was an, another New Yorker, Juilliard trained pianist, incredible pianist. In fact, his, his technical prowess was far superior than any other pianist at that time on the salsa scene. But he was a jazz pianist too, a jazz influenced pianist. And Bobby Cruz was this beautiful tenor voice, oper operatic in nature, but he was a salsa great vocal improviser in the tradition. He had the hottest band and Doc Cheatham, the jazz trumpet player from New Orleans was, was one of his trumpet players. His timbala player, Candido Rodriguez, lived in my building. And his wife, Mona, used to do my mother's hair. Wow. So he was playing on the bill. Tito Puente was playing on the bill with his orchestra. And Machito, the father, and the Afro-Cubans, the Machito Orchestra, the fathers of Afro-Cuban jazz, were playing. So, I mean, we see Ricardo Ray and Bobby Cruz, and they're killing it, man. It's just like, it looks like a little mini Woodstock. You know, the whole street avenue is filled with people. So I tell Marvin, we got to go down there, man, because so we could get up close to the bands. And, and he's he's going, nah, man, let's stay up here. We could throw spitballs at people and everything. <laughs> I said, no, man. It's, so we come, I convince him. So we go down there and uh, we see Machito pl playing with his orchestra. And I remember the song, Dale jamón a la jeva, eco melona, eco melona. And there's a part in the, the mambo section of the it's a big band. So the saxophone stand up and the mambo rhythm is going. You know, and I'm going, oh my God, my head starts exploding, listening to the brass and to the interaction of the saxes. And <clears throat> then, <clears throat> then they do a, another famous mambo. Then Tito Puente comes on, and what does he do? He starts playing this song. A song he had recorded and written in 1955 off the first album that he, when he got signed to RCA, the then world's biggest record company. It's an album that everybody should get. It's called Cuban Carnival. Mm -hmm. 
you know, get that album, Cuban Carnival. And you can hear it on YouTube as well. And in the middle of the song, he takes an incredible timbala solo. And then he points to the bre- to the saxophone. They stand up and I went, oh, my head exploded again. And that's when I said, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What year was this? Well, I was 12 years old. So you talk, I was born in 57. So 69, 70. 69, yeah. Which is what, what's happening at that time. Woodstock, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Yeah, I mean, it's so the, much. the Vietnam War, all that is happening at the time. The radio that's happening in New York City at the time, WNEW, WBLS, uh, as I told you before, WABC is the powerhouse AM pop station. Um, people like Cousin Brucey uh, were the DJ, was one of the DJs. Then you had WMCA, the good guys. They were the rival to WABC. So they would, it, New York was firing on all cylinders radio-wise. WNEW, the powerhouse rock station, Jonathan Schwartz was the program director. But he loved jazz and he loved Sinatra. <laughs> and he loved Tito Puente. <laughs> so he he's playing groups like uh, folk, uh, like uh, like Focus, the Dutch jazz rock group. He's playing Emerson, oh, yeah. Lake, yeah. he's playing Emerson Lake and Palmer. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he goes, and now the Count Basie of Latin music, Tito Puente. And, and I'm going, he's playing Tito Puente on a rock station, man. Why? Because he could. <laughs> he was the right, program right. director. Right, right, right. And then he plays, he'll play like a Jefferson Airplane, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Sinatra. <laughs> That's amazing. I love it. You can't, you can't, it's unfathomable programming like that today. They, they wouldn't let you do it. Well, let me, I, I want to get into your new recording that's coming out in, in May. This recording is autobiographical. That's, okay. that, that, that's why the album sounds the way it does. And uh, we have three of the greatest vocalists today in contemporary jazz. Janice Siegel from the, the Manhattan Transfer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Antoinette Montague, who's an incredibly uh, powerful force in blues and jazz. And Jennifer Jane Ledesma, who's a musical polyglot, and she's a fellow Bronxite. She's half Dominican, half Puerto Rican, grew up in the Bronx. And she was my student 20 years ago at the New School. Yeah. You know, uh, or 25, uh, 25 years ago at the New School. So uh, she speaks French, Brazilian, Portuguese, Italian. And Spanish, and, and she can sing in all those languages, but she sings in Portuguese uh, and in English on the album. So it's an incredible, for me, it's very heartfelt because if anybody asks you, well, what's this guy Bobby Sonabri about? Played in this new album, Box Humana. Yeah, I mean, you guys cover so much. I've had the pleasure of getting an early copy, and I have so enjoyed it. And you guys cover such a wide range uh, and, and with the vocalists to be able to insert their strengths, whether it's a swings tune or a Latin song or, or whatever. And of course, the, the range of of the different Latin styles that are there, partito alto and to the different things like that are just right. really, really enjoyed it. Um, I mean, it, you, you guys are doing some pop stuff in there as well. 
Yeah, we covered a, a, a beautiful, we do a powerhouse version of this old song by the who, a gentleman who was from the South, Mike Shapiro, who was a alto and tenor saxophone player, Jewish, changed his name to uh, from Mike Shapiro to Mike Sharp. And he had a hit in the 60s with the song Spooky, an instrumental hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it became a hit with the Classics Four. They wrote lyrics to it. And then it became a hit later on in 1977 with the Atlanta Rhythm Section. Yeah. They did a version of it. <clears throat> Spooky. And uh, that came about because Janice goes calls me up, hey, Sanabria, you know, uh, or she calls me that or she calls me Bronx. And I call her Brooklyn because she's from Brooklyn. And Brooklyn and the Bronx have this sibling rivalry. We've always had a mad love for each other. But anyway, she goes, listen, I did this demo with Christian McBride of the song Spooky. I go, yeah, I remember that song. So I go, I want you to hear it. What do you think? So I heard it and I said, oh, man, we got to do this with the big band because, first of all, it's perfect because it's really a cha-cha-cha, cha-cha-cha, if your, your listeners don't know it is really the basic rhythmic in, engine of, of rock, of, of sure. the basic patterns we use in rock, from the bass lines to the drum patterns. It influenced New Orleans musicians and that, in turn, the rest of the world. But that straight eighth note feel. So anyway, we I said, it'll be a killer if we uh, uh, blow it up to the big band, especially we'll pl- accentuate the authenticity of the cha-cha-cha rhythm. and but added elements of funk and rock to it and you know janice just sings the the proverbial shit out of it if i may say so myself (laughs) plus she scats on it and then we did a version of also steely dance do it again yeah that was great so so uh and uh that you know that uh, that piece of music that steely dan fans know uh, if you know anything about the music, that was a cha-cha-cha too. It starts off with congas, guiro, and, you know, there's a, a rock drum pattern on it in the original version, but that comes from cha-cha-cha anyway. So, uh, and we blew it up to Big Band, and I was able in that version, our version of it, to incorporate all three singers at the same time. So these are songs that are part of my were part of my childhood coming up. As well as all the other music that's that's on there, and uh, so the the album is completely autobiographical. That's amazing, and 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 the title, Vox Humana. Vox Humana. It's just Latin. It means human voice. That's all it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was recorded live at Dizzy's Club Coca Cola in New York City. We had uh, done the previous album, West Side Story Reimagined. Yeah, I'm glad I get to mention that. Which yeah. was nominated for a Grammy. We should have won it, but I'm not. Uh, I'm not complaining, you know. But we did win the Jazz Journalists Association Album of the Year award. the 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 greatest jazz writers in the world gave us the Album of the Year award, so that that kind of made up for losing the Grammy. Uh, and from what I understand, I mean, uh, uh, critics their input in music like jazz and 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 this genre is so much more important as far as reaching your audience than in the pop industry where a critic's opinion just does not matter as much, but in something that is, you know, does not fall into the pop 
genre category as easily, uh, a critic can really propel your project into, you know, reach a greater uh, number of people. Is that, right. is that a fair assessment? Yes, you're perfectly on point. It's simply because the music is 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 a music more of a a connoisseur type of music, where it's like eating uh, hamburgers at a diner. It's good comfort food, etc. And that's what pop music is. It's great <laughs> comfort. It's great comfort food, and if and, and if it's done well, uh, sometimes it can achieve the level of high art. Whereas jazz and Latin music. Are, are high art basically all the time because of the fact that jazz is based on the performance on, on musicianship. You're yeah. just on your musicianship, your compositional, your compositions, et cetera, arrangements. Latin music is popular, is a popular music in, in all of its forms. But the degree of difficulty and knowledge that one, the, the, the degree of knowledge one needs to perform the music authentically and well and plus the fact that we use the music is highly arranged right brings it up a notch in terms of the the level of of the average listener so the the, the listeners of in jazz and latin music are, are connoisseurs of the music so w- there's a greater responsibility put on us as musicians and of course critics are important to us they're a necessary evil. People say to me all the time, ah, critics don't mean jack or whatever. I go, well, you're wrong, man, because if 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 the album isn't isn't accepted by the critics, most jet uh, uh, uh there's so much output by artists out there, jazz people who are they're connoisseurs, Latin music people are connoisseurs, they're looking, they're deciding what am I gonna check out, you know. Oh, this critic said that this ain't worth it, so I'm not going to check it out. This critic says this is something worthy of checking out. Oh, okay, let me download this. Yeah, I mean, it, it's so easy. To, I mean, to access music these days, that I, I think that the, the the problem with it is people just gloss over things that you would take more time to invest in when we had to go out and get single recordings and and purchase them in in that way. Yeah. My sadness is with this, the, the current state of the music industry is that we have raised a generation of of listeners that don't care about who's playing on the records because they don't, they, they uh, you download a record. Does it say who's playing bass on right. it? Right. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta dig deep to find it. I tell you, I have a radio show on Saturdays emanating from WBGOFM, the, the world's, most noted jazz station on Saturdays from four to six for your listeners. If they want to listen in, just go to WBGO.org, uh, WB as a Bobby G-O.org, on Saturdays from four to six, the Latin jazz cruise. Yeah. And uh, sometimes my stick, so to speak, to use a, a Yiddish word, a New York Yiddish word is that I named the artist. I named the composer, the arranger and the soloist and the year the recording was made. Now, if I find a re- recording that I dig, I go, man, who who wrote this? I can't find who wrote it. Who's playing the trumpet? And I, I say the soloist. Who's playing trumpet? Who's taking this badass trumpet solo on this? And I have to dig. Sometimes I've, it's taken me two hours to find out who a trumpet player is that took a solo. And that involves also calling up people. Oh, that's cool. Like, like uh, uh, 
colleague of mine, Jose Madera, who were who great percussionist and arranger for Tito Puente for over 30 years. Jose, who, Joe, Woody, mm-hmm. well, that is Wood in Spanish. My, Woody, who's playing the, the trumpet solo on, on, on Tito Puente's, uh, that, that Mambo Caribe, that, you know, on the Mucho Puente, the exciting sound of Tito Puente album, and he'll rattle it off right away. And that's after two hours of me trying to find it on the internet. That's so that we've we raised a generation of listeners that listen to the music in in a sense on a superficial level. That they, unless they're studying music, like they're studying drums or they're studying trumpet or whatever, then they then as those people want to know, man, who's that trumpet player that took that solo? I want to know. So uh, I think the uh, the industry has to change that. Like uh, when you go to Spotify and all that, it should say the names of the musicians on the side. Who's the who was the producer? Yeah, there's there's ways to to find that allmusic.com. And but I can tell you, Bobby, in this house now, my younger son is a musician. My older son is not. But they both they know who played on what. They know the history of these bands that they're or they they are curious about, you know who these people are they're listening to i i love it i know it's they're in the minority with that but i i have a quote from you to kind of go back to what you were saying about the people that you play with i've got a couple quick quotes i want to i want to throw at you this is from you i'm very picky with who i use it's not enough to be technically capable you have to understand and respect my vision also and then here's another quote to play this music correctly, you have to have players that have lived that tradition in some aspect and have played it so you can really understand the vocabulary, not only the vocabulary vocabulary of those traditions, but of our traditions here in the United States in terms of black music, particularly jazz and funk and R&B. Yeah, that's, right, right. that's a major description of what it takes to play with you and your band. Yeah, yeah, and, and and I can hear it in this, especially in this new recording, and and I can say uh, the West Side Story reimagined is is amazing as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I encourage everybody to check that out. It's a double album set. It has a sixteen-page booklet, uh, and we redid West Side Story for, with my vision from the perspective of being a New Yorker, kind of reclaiming the music from the, from Maestro Bernstein, who I love. It inspired me so deeply, but it's all that our vision of Westchester using all Afro Latin rhythms and, and elements of funk, R and B, and everything. So check it out; it, it, it'll be a great experience for you, and it makes a great <laughs> birthday, holiday, Christmas gift, whatever. So uh, with but, this music, with with like West Side Story reimagined or the new record that's coming out in May. How do people access access this? Where do where where do people find this music? Well, you can download it on on all platforms. It'll be available. It's a double album set. It's a yeah. uh, sorry double CD set. Sure, eighty four minutes of music on there. So uh, you can you'll be able to purchase it and get a hard copy of it. Uh, and uh, uh, you'll be but if you choose to, you can. Um, uh, just download it as well. But I encourage people to get the hard copy because uh, Liner when, you notes. Open, when you open it up, there'll be a 
you'll say it'll say enter the multiverse. There'll be a QR code in there, and then you can access uh, all of the pertinent information, all of the musicians, the arrangers, the composers, all that information. A beautiful essay written by T.J. English, the New York Times best-selling author, about the recording pictures, all of that kind of stuff. It, it's all that in a bag of chips, as we would say in the in the South Bronx. <laughs> And and that quote that you said, you're in Nashville, which is such a soulful city, you know, one of the great cities of the United States, great music city like New Orleans, Mm -hmm. like New York, like Los Angeles, Chicago. And uh, I would I would dare say that dare to say that what I said, the best band leaders in in Nashville require that as well from their musicians. Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's it's really fascinating. Again, we, we when we first got on this this call, we were talking about the parallels between jazz, Latin, and and even country music. Uh, I, I like to refer to these as kind of grown up music. Sometimes it's it's difficult for like a very young person to really understand what they're listening to, with maybe the exception of your experience at twelve. But seeing Tito Puente in person, I I, I think you'd 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 have to not even have a pulse to if that didn't register with you in some way but but still it 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 almost seems like i see this in young people around 15 when when they start to understand like what this more sophisticated form of art it really is and um and then if it clicks with them just the deep dive that you can really go with it's 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 beautiful Right, right. Well, well, you know, you have to experience it live. And, and uh, yes. in, Nash- in Nashville, being a music town, young people get to see bands performing live you yeah. know, all the time. Um, I got to see here and see the rumba tradition in New York City. Guys playing congas in the park in the summertime. That was the soundtrack. The soundtrack of New York City in the summertime is this. Cuban guabanco. I mean, at least it was for me growing up in the South Bronx. In fact, if you didn't hear that at night, people would call up the police precinct, go, yo, something's wrong. The, the, an African-American person would call up, yo, I'm, officer, they, those Puerto Ricans ain't playing them Congo drums in the park. Something's going on, you know? <laughs> or something's <laughs> going to go down. <laughs> so, so, I mean, you have to experience it live. That's, that's just what it is. And, and I find a lot of young people today They've only experienced things through the lens of hip hop, which parenthetically was born where I was born and raised, the South Bronx. Cool DJ Herc went to the high school across the street from the uh, projects I lived in, you know, wow. which Alfred E. Smith High School, Bronx Vocational High School. He, uh, in any case, uh, if you just growing, if you just grow up listening to music through the lens of computers and uh, turntables, et cetera, and you don't experience what it is to hear a brass section, saxophone section, a real drummer, et cetera, et cetera. Your, your growth musically, is, in, my, in my opinion, is kind of stunted. Yeah. So, so, and I see it all the time when we perform with the Multiverse Big Band or any of my other ensembles, my Cuarteto Ache or my Nanette Ascension young people come up to me sometimes and go, wow, I never heard this music before. Or I never seen 
what is the trombone? Oh, you know, I think they're just amazed. They just their minds are blown. Yeah. You know, because and then the great. The conversation has started. How do I further the conversation? I, uh, sometimes they literally ask, "Who else can I listen to?" Or I'll say, "Listen, uh, turn on uh, turn on the audio uh, function on your on your smartphone." So they turn. I go, "This okay? Go to YouTube and check out these people: Count Basie, Duke Ellington, Tito Puente, Machito, Carlos Santana, the Almond Brothers." You know, I, I'll just give them a, a list of people to listen and specific cuts to listen to. You know, get the Herbie Hancock Headhunters album. You know, yeah, the, they, yeah. I mean, so that we we can all do that to a certain extent as adults uh, to spread the gospel of this incredible uh, music. Uh, and uh, we have at our disposal the greatest uh, teaching tool, YouTube. Yeah, I've yeah. seen it. You know, I've done it. <laughs> I've gone into public schools. I, I remember when it. I did a little re residency a few years ago with these uh, kids in the third grade, uh, teaching them about uh, uh, jazz history. So the first thing I did was I wrote the word improvisation on the blackboard. I go, who can tell me what this word means? Uh, and, uh, you know, some of them don't know. And I go, it means to make up something, but make you can do make up something out of nothing. We improvise when we have conversations and everything. I go, let's look at somebody, a musician improvising. So I show them what? I show them Santana playing Soul Sacrifice at Woodstock. Love it. Yeah. And I got them. I got them, man. I got them right away. You know, like, because I open up the door to Africa. You sit and play congas, you know, the, the imbalas, shakers, et cetera. Santana's playing the blues. It opens the, the the conversation to that. It opens up the conversations of multiracial, uh, the multicultural racial aspect of the music and our and our history as Americans. Why? Because Santana's band, they had a black bass player, a Nicaraguan timbala player, a, Puerto, a New York conga player. You know, I mean, the organ player, Greg Rowley, is white, for lack of a better term. The drummer, Michael Shreve, is Michael white. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then the, when the drums and, and when the drum solo comes, forget it. They they just they, they're like wow, uh, you know. Then I show them okay, you know. We start talking about uh, has anybody heard you know or seen a band with trumpets, trombones, and saxophones? And sometimes they, they don't even know what that is. Okay, let's look at a band using the same thing that we just talked about improv improvisation. Boom. I put Tower Power on. Oh yeah, I love it. And they freak out. They they just like you know. I mean, so it's very easy to do. It's very easy to do. Anybody can do it. That that uh, knows these two groups I just mentioned. But you but you can use other examples as well. And then we get it little by little. Then we finally get to the Killer Dilla James Brown. You know, <laughs> I like and when I talk, we get to hip hop. I go. Uh, well, the DNA of what the music that you like today, you know, is this man. And then you put James Brown on, forget it, playing funky drummer or any other, any of his great tunes live. 
you got them, man. You just got them. And, and then the conversation about studying music. Then all of them, then all of them start going, I want to learn how to play drums. I want to learn how to play saxophone. I want, you know. The the problem was getting back to where I grew up in New York City at the time that the city went bankrupt and the Bronx is burning. The city to save money, what they did was they cut all the music programs. Yeah. And art programs in the public schools. So what happened? Music is our, our for us is therapy. It's our cultural expression, mm-hmm. is our therapy. So hip hop was born. The kids had to make music somehow. Yeah. They did it with recordings. And they used the recordings and the technology to create music. Yeah. So in a sense, hip hop was born out of what? Desperation and revolution and resistance. And all forms of music are resistance. People might that's, that's, think- I find that fascinating too. And it is so interesting, you know, even in folk music and just all these different things. And when you have something that's somewhat controversial that an artist or somebody says or a band expresses in in any front, uh, people are like, man, why don't you just 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 sing the songs? It's like, you, man, the history of that form of expression and, and resistance has been at at music at its core. It's always interesting to me and, and confusing that somebody would say like, why don't you know, don't you don't have to get so political. Just just sing your like, you don't understand, man, like. There's, what that is music, you know? <laughs> right, right. I mean, I just came back from Cuba uh, uh, at, from this film festival where we presented from Mambo Hip Hop, as I said before, before we were on mic. And uh, this film from Mambo Hip Hop, A South Bronx Tale, which you can see on YouTube that I was a producer and talking head on. Uh, and as I said before, Music is, is besides resistance and revolution, it's a form of survival. It was survival for us in the South Bronx. It was, yeah. you know, the, the, something, something would have come out. Uh, it just happened to be hip-hop because of the technology of the time. It was available to kids. That's, a, yeah, that's fascinating. And, that's, that's... And, and radio. So, and people that doubt it, you know, well, these kids, they musically unsophisticated i don't think unsophisticated well it's, it's the wrong term that from a technical standpoint they're ignorant they don't know what a f sharp is or you know anything what a c minus seven nine chord is or whatever but they don't rhythm the, yeah. which is the most important aspect of music you have harmony melody and rhythm as Dizzy gillespie said out of all those those three elements the most important one is rhythm Without rhythm, you have nothing. So they have this deep knowledge of rhythm from their from their upbringing, okay? And they apply it to the turntablism that's used yeah. in hip-hop, uh, et cetera. And they have a sense of form, which is what? Arranging. Yeah. Which, which the early artists in hip-hop did. They said, we're going to take this breakbeat and combine it with this section from a Bob James record and then put this James Brown section together with that. And then we're going to rap on top of that or whatever. So that's arranging, man. That's sophisticated. And then to do it live as a DJ in a setting where you're like crate diving, 
at the spur of the moment getting recordings. That's improvisation. Okay. So it is a highly sophisticated form of music. Some of my jazz brethren, uh, you know, put down hip hop, but I, I, it's it's more I would say out of ignorance, you know. Sure. I I say oh, forgive them, Lord, for they don't know <laughs> they don't they know not what they are saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you about like there there's improv. Improv is used in music all around the world, but what right. is it about jazz and American improv that is unique? The blues. Yeah. The blues. Jazz is for is it's an it's the African American expression of resistance, revolution, and survival. Mm-hmm. You know? And we're all the beneficiaries of that. Yeah. And it be, basically was born uh out of the oppression that African Americans suffered in this country, as opposed to the oppression that they suffered in the Caribbean, Central and South America, where the Spanish allowed the drum to survive. They allowed African languages to be spoken, African religious traditions to survive, et cetera. In this country, that was all repressed. In fact, it was baked into the Constitution mm-hmm. uh, um, and the Declaration of Independence and everything. Blacks were only considered three-fifths human. Yeah. You know? So uh, it was illegal for them to sing any of their native songs from whatever tribal nations they came from. It was illegal for them to drum only for a short time period in Congo Square in New Orleans, which every person listening to this broadcast should have should go to so you could feel the spirit of Africa in the United so, States. In, in so the- my wife and I went down there uh, probably four months ago and did a tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was a, a, a very heavy uh, tour that the. the the lady that that took us um, pulled no punches, and it was really good for us to be there and take us through Congo uh, Congo Square and and was I don't know yeah I agree with you it's it's really great I mean you, you think about you know going down there and the food and the music and everything like that but it takes some time to kind of really understand what actually was going on down there uh, and how important that city has been for you know. Just what has has gone on in this country is 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 really great. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and it's I said it's it's survival. The music was survival. I mean, so you can't sing a beautiful praise song for Yemaya in the Yoruba tradition, like Woko Yale Yaluma Yale Omiabe Ayama Omio, but you could hum the melodies. It wasn't illegal to do that. So you're in the fields picking cotton and you go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and then with that, you know, from that struggle to survive and that, you know, that, you know, the deep injustices that were thrust upon our African-American brothers and sisters, you know, that feeling of, of the blues was born mm-hmm. as an expression of survival. And that's what makes the way we improvise as Americans in rock, funk, R&B, and even salsa and Latin jazz, you know, all yeah. forms of Latin jazz. This is not just Afro-Cuban, you have Brazilian, you have uh, Afro-Colombian rhythms, Afro-Puerto Rican rhythms. The, the aspect that makes jazz 
improvisation so special is the blues. You have to have some of some of the blues in there. Yeah. Uh, you could play a million licks, but make sure one of those licks is a blues lick. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why that's why I tell my students rock guitarists have it over and country western guitarists have it over uh, a lot of uh, you know speed freak jazz improvisers in many ways sometimes because they know they have that foundation in the blues and yeah yeah jazz improvisation takes uh the african american sensibility of improvisation the genius of it to a virtuosic level and that that's you know where we come in as the musicians in the multiverse big band, you know, we're drawing upon on that. So like, as I said before, I have to have musicians that have that kind of knowledge, but they also have to have the, the, the street knowledge. There's there's street knowledge and there's academic academia, you know, and. So what's the, the difference? That, well, street knowledge is just having that knowledge of the blues Mm -hmm. uh having that knowledge of uh you're improvising and you're like instead of playing a lick to show off your technical virtuosity you just hit one note and you bend it and and you get boom it hits the person in the audience right in the gut you know yeah so and in many ways rock guitarists have that are lead rock guitar uh, that are lead players in rock bands have that at their disposal in a big way, you know, um, and we have it at our disposal as jazz musicians too. But sometimes we get carried, <laughs> we get carried away. Um, uh, so when I listen to Buddy Rich, obviously people are amazed by Buddy Rich's technical virtuosity. But he's from Brooklyn, New York, man. So he has a lot of soul in his playing. There's a lot of guys out there, a lot of players that can imitate Buddy Rich that have the chops that Buddy had, and except they just don't have the soul. It's it's an incomprehensible thing that 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 uh, it's it is hard fascinating. To, it's, hard, it's hard to describe. It's a spiritual thing. But I think there's there's a, um, numerous examples of like technically proficient musicians and technically proficient bands that are notorious for that. But some just connect with a wider audience than others. Some are just you know very uniquely musician bands and some of them are musician bands and reach people whether it's you know somebody like zappa or rush or you know that 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 have gone beyond just this geeky musician you know fan base to a, a larger audience and i think sometimes they just they know how to connect in a way uh, right yeah sometimes it's just the timbre of the sound or whatever sure you mentioned frank zappa one of my heroes frank and we we recorded actually one of his pieces on an album, another Grammy nominated album we did called Big Band Urban Folktales back in 2007. We recorded a version of the Grand Wazoo. Oh, cool. Montuno. <laughs> it's like Frank, if he would have had some knowledge of Afro-Cuban music, <laughs> you got to check it out. You can check it okay. out on YouTube or whatever you're listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Frank had this, he, Frank had this incredible knowledge of R&B music. And soul music. He had one of the biggest collections of uh, of that type of music that exists to this day, and and he came from that. But he also loved Stravinsky and Edgar Varese and and all these avant garde contemporary classical composers, uh, 
what an oxymoron, contemporary classical, you know, <laughs> just uh, <laughs> but for lack of a better term. So, but he combined that and he had a deep sense of the blues. Uh, his guitar playing is re- was very soulful, but he had this genius mind uh, and, uh, to write these complex pieces. But how did Frank temper that with his incredible sense of humor? Yeah. At the same time, when you saw, if you didn't come out laughing, uh, uh, if you didn't come out saying something like, man, did you check out that funny thing he did on stage or, or that funny thing he said or that funny uh, choreographed thing they did with the musicians, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, then you didn't go to a Frank Zappa concert. <laughs> so so uh, it, it, I have some of that in me, you know, when, when, when I present the music, I'm, I'm always telling jokes or making funny asides etc but this so you have to have also in the music some sense of humor as well you can't take yourself seriously you could you take the music seriously but don't take yourselves too seriously you know sometimes uh i think we you're very right about what you said i call it egghead music sometimes you know (laughs) but uh um i hear things and my my students who are composers come up with me and they check you know t- uh, check this out, Professor Scenario. And they, I go, what are you trying to say in this? You know, and because uh, it's not saying anything, it's just a bunch. You know, you got all these odd meters, you got there's no flow to it or whatever, et cetera. It, you know, it's not saying anything. You know, mm-hmm. um, but you just you know, as our African American brothers would say or james brown would say you're talking a lot but you're not saying anything wow love that yeah for sure there's the yeah we can all cite examples of that so real quick so when this comes on it looks like may 12th mm-hmm. is when this new recording is going to come out uh you can you can buy an actual copy of it you can you can download it where do they go to find it? Is that at your website or? They can go to Amazon and all the platforms, Spotify, all those, any platform, any platform that's available, they can gotcha. check it out. That's and cool. the uh, the first single of is going to be coming out uh, uh, March 17th, uh, which is Caravan, our version of Caravan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can go to YouTube now and see like a 50 second excerpt of it. Cool. And uh, I said, again, we, we recorded it live, no jive, at Disney's Club Coca-Cola. So what you hear is what you get. And I'm very proud of the musicians because they are all virtuosos and the music is demanding, but it's soulful at the same time. So it's it's, it's very accessible. Um, I think a lot of people, a lot of my colleagues are going to be very surprised uh, because, first of all, it's the whole, because first of all, the album is all vocals, except for the very first cut with Caravan, our version of Caravan, Juan Tiva's old classic composition that Duke Ellington recorded. But our version uses uh, three Afro-Puerto Rican rhythms. Juan Tiva was Puerto Rican, played valve trombone with Duke Ellington's orchestra. And uh, we use plena, which is a native Afro-Puerto Rican rhythm. It's played on frame drums, jingleless frame drums called panderetas in its purest uh, folkloric presentation. Of course, I'm playing drum set. We use do use the panderetas as well and add bells and things like that. So we amp up the rhythm. And then we have two other Afro-Puerto Rican rhythms, 
from a genre called bomba in that arrangement. Mm -hmm. Bomba is our most African expression. There are various rhythms within that genre. Timbeke, Cocobale, Holandes, Cuerbe. And in this case, we used Sika, which was a a rhythm played in New Orleans by Afro-Puerto Ricans and Haitians, because the the rhythms have Afro-Haitian roots. Uh, Because, again, history is the best teacher. The Haitian Revolution starts first in the Dominican Republic, the Dominican side of Hispaniola, that island, in case people don't know, or won't pay attention during history class or geography class in (laughs) high school. Hispaniola is the island. Half of it is Haiti, half of it is Dominican Republic. So the revolution starts in the Dominican Republic against Spain in 1792, and it spreads to the French part, Haiti, in 1793. And for those next 10 years, Napoleon is trying to defeat the Afro-Haitian forces led by Toussaint L'Overture, and many of the French landowners to escape the bloodshed go with the African Haitian slaves to two places. Well, three places. They go to Eastern Cuba, where that manifests itself and is reborn the rhythms as Tumba Francesa in the Eastern part. Hmm. Uh, And then they go to the coastal regions of my ancestral homeland, Puerto Rico, where it's reborn as Bomba. And then then they go to New Orleans as well. So those rhythms, like Sica, which is a Bomba rhythm and it's used in Tumba Francesa, is just in New Orleans too. You hear the drummers play it. The basic rhythmic cadence of uh, Sika is one, two, So we use that rhythm, and then there's another rhythm from the Bomba Compass, Yuba. So it's probably going to mute my hand, but you can see the motion. So we go, then it goes to Yuba. So it alternates between that Yuba rhythm, which is in 6-8 meter. Uh, And that was played in Congo Square in New Orleans. So it comes around full circle. So if the Duke Ellington Orchestra, the rhythm section, would have had knowledge of authentic Afro-Puerto Rican rhythms, you could hear it in, in our version of Caravan, which I think is the most exciting version of the uh, piece that's ever been recorded. So that opens up the album. Right. That's the only instrumental piece. It has some chanting on it too, but the rest of the album is 13 cuts. 12 of them are all featuring the, these incredible vocalists that I mentioned before. And you can get it on all platforms. So Caravan, the first single is out on uh, March uh, 17th. So check it out. And you can see a little excerpt on on YouTube. It's interesting because when you say live, you know people they're they're assuming something as far as the mix and the recording. But I I've been listening to it. I listened to it in the car. I listened to it with headphones, and headphones was amazing. Uh, whoever mixed it did a, a fabulous job. It's Jim Gailey, still, Jim Gailey, all kudos to him. It, I mean, it still retains this very live energy. You can hear you all over it, guiding the band, pumping up the crowd. It's really great. Uh, yet um, you can you can hear everything in the mix in in such a beautiful way. 
that makes it accessible like a, like a studio recording, but still with that live energy. It's 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 really great. I encourage people to check it out. Yeah, Jim was fabulous. He's a great guitarist himself. Yeah, and we we have guitar uh, conversations all the time. <laughs> He did a fabulous job. I mean, I had some input in the mix. I, I did the tweaking, but he did the heavy lifting. So, mm -hmm. And he's got great ears. It's fantastic. Let me ask you one last thing. I know you've been involved in some documentaries. Have you ever considered writing a book of some form, whether a history book, uh, documenting things, or uh, a, a workbook that cites uh, just teaching or whatever? Everybody asks me that all the time. <laughs> In terms, a lot of people ask me to, why don't you write your biography when you, you know, that kind there of. There you thing. go. So, so uh, I'm thinking about it. Uh, let, let me finish building this Bronx Music Heritage <laughs> Center, Bronx Music Hall first. But uh, uh, one thing at a time, but I think I'll get around to it. I, I, the thing about the book is that uh, some of it was going to be very painful. It, it'll be a, a it, it it'll be a, a a very I know it'll be a painful process because growing up in the South Bronx at the time was a painful thing. But the thing that, as I said before, that uh, the uh, made us survive and thrive was the music. I wouldn't be the musician I am today if it wasn't the experience that I got being exposed to the myriad number of of cultures that I did get exposed to in the South Bronx and my father who exposed me to the multiverse. I'll tell you a nice story to close off. When I was a kid, well, TV at the time, my generation of people were the last ones to experience jazz on TV. So I saw Carl Basie, Duke Ellington, Buddy Rich, mm -hmm. everybody on TV um, at the time, um, you know, Stan Getz. Uh, I, I saw Don Ellis on PBS performing. I mean, as well as Leonard Bernstein conducting the New York Philharmonic on TV. I heard jazz through all of the cartoons of the time period. Johnny Quest, the Flintstones, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Top Cat, etc. Uh, so I, I was lucky in, in that sense. But the person that really opened the door to me for the multi to the, what I call the multiverse was my father, Hossein, who may he rest in peace. He brought home the, fir the first four rec recordings I remember listening to as a kid was I'm In With The In Crowd by Dolby Gray, Reach Out by The Four Tops, uh, Recuerdos de Navidad, Memories of Christmas by an incredible Puerto Rican trio, Trio Vega Bajeno, guitar trio, and they all sang in harmony. And Mashkenada, the Georgia Ben samba composition, yeah. as interpreted by Sergio Mendez on Brazil 66. Yeah, for sure. And that record, all those records, I used to put them on all the time. But the Brazil 66 record, I put it on constantly, man, my, to the point where my mother told my father in Spanish, I think he's autistic. You know, something's wrong with him, you know, because he keeps putting that record on all the time. So... What grabbed me about the record was the there's a blues lick in it that Sergio Mendez plays, the mm -hmm. pianist, a blues break. Later on, I found out he was inspired. His inspiration was Horace Silver, you know, okay. the great pianist. Okay, sure. So 
the language is Portuguese, but I never heard Portuguese before. I, I thought it was, I said, what is it? It sounds like Spanish, but it isn't. Yeah. And my father saw me play, my, told my father told my mother, let me see what's wrong with him. You know? So yeah. he's looking at me, listening to the record. And I noticed, and I looked up and, and, and he's smiling and laughing at the same time. And I go, is anything wrong with this? All is, all is in Spanish and everything in Spanish sounds more dramatic. He goes, why do you like the record so much? You know, and I go, well, I like the rhythm and, and, the, and the song, the melody, you know, but it's not really Spanish. It's something else. And he goes, get the globe. And he, I get the globe. He goes, see this? The reason you like the rhythm so much is because of this place, Africa. The rhythm comes from Africa. All the rhythms that we listen to that in our culture come from this place. And the reason they sing in, in the language called Portuguese is this place, Portugal. And the reason we speak Spanish is because of this place, Spain. I go, well, how do we how do we get to do that? We're Puerto Rican, you know, we're not from Spain. And he goes, ah, you know, then he starts talking about the slave trade, mm -hmm. the transatlantic slave trade. Mm -hmm. And for a little kid who's nine years old at the time, it's like mind blowing. Yeah, he did it in a simple, easy way that I could understand, and then and he concludes the example, the the history lesson by telling me that's why, you know, we carry Africa inside of us because of the rhythm. It doesn't matter what color our skin is, because I'm light skinned It's the culture that we carry within us. Mm -hmm. That's part of our culture. We should be proud of it. And remember, your grandmother's black. You know, my, my he goes, my mother is black, so. You know, we're not the color, her color skin, but she's black. You know that, right? I go, no, I've met grandma. You know, I know. You know, so that means that if anybody ever says anything disparaging about a black person, you should defend them right away. Not defend them, defend a black person because you're, you know, in, in a sense, you're black too because you carry that culture. We carry that culture inside of us. That was the great. That was the opening to the multiverse for me. For with love that, man. and I'll, I'll always remember that. I'm getting choked up just thinking about it right now. I'm talking about it. Beautiful, but man. I mean, my father should have been a history teacher. He was a machinist. He was a machinist. That's that. That's what it, that was his noble working class trade, and uh, I love him dearly for. But you're carrying that on. I mean, just that tradition, just that him. I mean, you are the, the 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 pure form of expression that he he had. Now you've you carried that on. It's it's wonderful, man. Thank you, thank you, and I and I'm uh, and I thank him. Up in heaven, he passed away a few years ago. My mother just recently passed away, not too long ago, too. So, and she was a great supporter of everything I did. I'll tell you another great story just to conclude. When I was uh i applied to berkeley to to go to the berkeley college of music i don't know how it is now but at that time you had to get permission from your parents written permission that you were going to leave the state of new york to go to the state of to the state of massachusetts to study at, at berkeley so you had to get this written science notarized uh document interesting uh and your parents had to sign it so when i told my father all of a sudden, he's going in Spanish. You know, what do you mean you're going to Berkeley to study music? I thought it was, you know, 
I thought it was just, just a passing fad <laughs> that you had being a musician. Yeah. Meanwhile, I was gigging already and everything and uh, in high school. And he's trying to talk me out of it. You know, he's like telling me, no, you could stay here, stay here. That way you can and study something else. That way you can have something to fall back on. Uh, you know how music is. It's precarious and this, that, and the other. My mother's listening to all of this, right, on the side. And as all mothers do, man, they protect their children. My mother said in Spanish, mira, Joe. My father's name was Jose. Mira, Joe, si tú no firmas los papeles para tu hijo sobrevivir su sueño, te voy a divorciar, which means, listen, Joe, if you don't sign the papers for your son to fulfill his dream, to go to college and do what he wants to do, I'll divorce you. <laughs> and she was serious, man. <laughs> because everything I said, as I said before, sounds more dramatic in Spanish. And she's a Puerto Rican mother. And she's, you know, like African-American mothers, like white mothers, like mothers all over the world. When it comes to their kids, forget it, man. Yeah, no doubt. Don't mess around. Yeah, no doubt. So about 10 seconds passed. And he goes, Dame la pluma. Give me, he goes, give me the pen. Yeah. <laughs> and he signed the, the papers. <laughs> man, that's amazing. Bobby, thanks for sharing that, man. Thanks to both those stories. It's 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 a great way to bookend this. And um very excited for hopefully some new listeners to to send your way. Is it bobbysanabria.com? Yes, yeah, that's my website. Yeah. And uh we'll have links said, in the you'll, show notes. you'll be able to to download the, the first single from the album. Yeah. I find that strange, me being a, a jazz oriented musician, Latin musician saying uh, the first single, you know. <laughs> but this is the this is the paradigm of the world we live in now. And then the second single uh will be April uh I think uh 18th or something, around in the middle of April, around tax season. <laughs> You'll be able to download Partido Alto. Love uh, it. On the One of my favorites on that record. Amazonas and Partido Alto are yeah, those two, two Brazilian on there. That's, but you'll be able to download Partido Alto, which Jennifer just is killing on it. And Jeff Letter, one of the greatest unsung tenor saxophone titans of our time, is featured on that cut with yep. the band roaring behind it. It's like Tower of Power meets... Uh, the Count Basie Orchestra meets uh, Brazilian Partido Alto rhythm. You know, it's it's all that. And then that'll be available in the middle of April. Uh, and then as a single. And then May 12th, the, the entire album is, uh, is available. And I must say, I'm very proud because of the musicians, because there's a couple of cuts. We play a version of Let the Good Times Roll, mm -hmm. which is a straight up blues jump blues and it's just you know Antoinette who's African-American when we played it in rehearsal she goes damn it sounds like what it's supposed to sound like the Count Basie orchestra man you know that's great he goes she goes I mean not bad for a Puerto Rican for a New York <laughs> it swings was, pretty hard man it swings yeah 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 and then oh we man talking about we, we were talking about you mentioned pop music we do a a big band version of Genie in a Bottle, which is the song that put Christine, Christina Aguilera on the map uh -huh. over 20 years ago. That again, Janice suggested that and brought it in. 
And I only made one minor adjustment to the arrangement. I had the arranger do a more bombastic ending for at the end. But uh, it swings hard like the Basie Orchestra. And uh, just to hear that song in that kind of a context, a big band straight ahead swing context, I'm very curious to see what Christina Aguilar's reaction is when she hears it, because I know she's a jazz fan. So, uh, so uh, awesome. it'll, it'll be interesting. But so the variety of rhythms that are on here for for the drummers that are listening and drummers listen to this this broadcast, this podcast, you, you're in for a big, big, big treat. Oh yeah. Uh, and uh, I think you'll be very surprised. And uh, hopefully those of you who are drummers who are not really too hip to the big band, uh, Latin jazz or, and straight ahead jazz tradition will become completely enamored of it when you hear this recording. I think they will, for sure, man, for sure. Bobby, thank you so much for your time and insight today. Uh, I've really enjoyed listening to your music and, and digging into this, getting to know you a little bit better and, and chatting today. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for your time. Most definitely. And we'll, leave it, we'll, we'll, we'll break bread in Nashville and, and, and hopefully we'll break bread also in the Bronx, you know? That'd be, that'd be amazing, man. man. Great. Thanks so much, man. And Have a great weekend. everybody out there, there's nothing more nobler than a working drummer. <laughs> See you. See you, man. Have a good day. Talk Bye-bye. to you soon. Bye-bye. So there you have it, my conversation with Bobby Sanabria. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, special thanks to Chris Girolamo once again at Two for the Show for connecting us with Bobby and, uh, and hopefully shedding some light on this new record that's coming out, Vox Humana. Stay tuned next week where Zach will be the host. But for now, everyone, thanks so much for listening and stay safe and I'll see you around. Bye-bye.